This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And welcome to our August bonus episode stream. We are joined by uh, a lovely Patreon supporter chat. Uh, more information on that at patreon.com slash overdue pod. <laughs> Andrew, hit what? him at home with the premise of our show. Every week, one of us reads a book that we've never read before, and we tell the other one of us about it. We're old friends from school. Yeah. And we have a <laughs> rapport that people find charming, and we talk to each other about books, and people seem to like it yeah. for 10 years. So. Wow, I haven't heard that out loud. Uh, that's mm-hmm. fun to say. Yeah. Um, we're gonna break we've been experimenting in the last year. You've been a really good driver of this, Andrew, with kind of stretching our legs. The idea man, as it were. And you're the face. Sure. <laughs> um, but like stretching our legs in particular, it is with the uh bonus episodes that you have been saying what if we do this different thing? What if we try a book that we can both read and talk about? Because with an audience, it's helpful to like have us both be on point. And this, these, we want to do something fun for the people at home. You mm-hmm. know, we want to choose some adventures. We want to talk about Sonic. We want to <laughs> read a poem. Mm-hmm. And you had an idea for a different type of book, which was in line with a style of book I wanted us to represent at some point. So why I'm did just you so, bring us here? Like, when we do these bonus episodes, I think we've discovered that not that a traditional, like one person read the book and the other person responds to it format doesn't work, but it does tend to get like more fun and more rowdy when we, when we've, we've both read the book. And also it's kind of like a high concepty thing or like there's a, there, you know, there's a, uh, there's a twist. There's a yeah. hook that encourages audience participation and makes people excited to you know what come they say, and sit on these. What's that? Because what the hook say? brings you back. Mm-hmm. When did that? In- <laughs> Was that from the movie poster for Hook? No, it's from the the blues track, the man with the harmonica. Oh, okay. I don't Be- know what you're talking about. Because the hook brings you back. That's not on the Henry playlist, so I don't like. I'm not. I don't I listen to music. That's not. You do. <laughs> So what book did we read for this episode? I wanted to see if we could do some kind of a cookbook in yep. some way. And so we read Beard on Bread by James Beard. Yeah. A, gour- a gourmand, an American cook from the 20th century. Yes. Got a lot of got a lot of books to his name. Inclu- so Beard on Bread, amazing name because Beard <laughs> and Bread have the same letters in them. And it's just really good. But yeah, then it's he a has- good name. One called Beard on Food and Beard on Pasta, which neither <laughs> of those neither of those 
if we if we had said okay let's do a what's the canonical pasta text instead of yeah. the canonical bread text what would we go for i don't think you i would see beard on pasta and be like well that's the one as someone with a beard i don't <laughs> mm-hmm. want it on my pasta no now and this now and you again get, now to you your, get that pasta on your on your beard sometimes. Sometimes I don't this know what little, it, this is a little snack for later. <laughs> I don't know what it is about this title that just does not make me think that there is facial hair on the bread I'm eating. It's just not a thing. It's no, just, it's because you see so beard on say. bread by James Beard and you're like, oh, that's cute. Yes, that is cute. So and beard on pasta seems like you're I don't <laughs> I don't even <laughs> I don't, I don't want to continue the sentence. So, so cookbooks are interesting, right? Because sort of like, instructions for making for keeping yourself alive. Yeah. And sort of like a play isn't really a play until it's performed. Like what is a cookbook if you don't make any of the food mm-hmm. in it? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a thing that's on your shelf and you got it as a gift and you haven't made anything out of it. That's and it looks what, nice. And, you know, cookbook covers, cookbook spines even just yeah. all exceptionally nice to look at. Yeah. But, but yeah. So in this episode, we are going to talk about James Beard. We are going to talk about this book and our experience reading it. We've both mm-hmm. read through most of it. We have not made every piece of bread in this freaking Yeah, book. this isn't now if we wanted to do like a Julian uh, Julian Julia <laughs> you want to do like a beardo and beard yeah and that would be your podcast where you cook your way through someone through call James stanley Beard's tucci let's book. go um but we did make <laughs> some bread paul giamatti did you mean i thought stanley tucci was in that one no he was i'm just oh dang it oh you got me with those <laughs> gotcha. hungry games um so we have some bread that we're gonna eat uh that each of us made Mm-hmm. And I think Andrew has some documentation that we each made of the process. Yeah, I got pics. Um, and so if you're in the stream or if you're a Patreon supporter who has access to the stream and you want to watch it later, you can see those pics. We might get some of them up on social media as well when the episode goes live probably uh, in later in September. Uh, I am also drinking a beer that we made together. Yeah. So just like big night for... Yeah, eating and eating and drinking weedy, yeasty things that we've <laughs> made. Yeah, there's together. a bread. There's a bread in here that I bookmarked uh, to that end. Um, Carbonation on this is nice. So we yeah, can talk about this later. It's pretty good. Um, so okay, so let's get into it, Andrew. Do I, you did what? Had you ever heard of James Beard before Beard on I, Bread? No, I didn't know James Beard. Okay, so I was at least familiar with James Beard because of the James Beard Awards. Yes, Which they do those. Are like an annual food award thing that's run by his by the foundation that people among others Julia Child set up in his name after he passed in the eighties. Um, and so, as a as a bit of a Philadelphia foodie, uh, I always get excited when Philly restaurants. <laughs> Uh, win some James Beard awards. There was one mm-hmm. Barbacoa won one this year, uh, 20, 2022. Um, so I'm like, I'm familiar with it, but I don't really know much about him. Um, so let's get into it. He was born in 1903. He passed away in 1985. Uh, of Mr. Beard, food journalist Mark Bittman said, In a time when serious cooking meant French cooking, Beard was quintessentially American, a Westerner whose mother ran a boarding house, a man who grew up with hot cakes and salmon and meatloaf in his blood. (laughs) 
a man who was born a hundred years ago on the other side of the country in a city, Portland, that at that time was every bit as cosmopolitan as, say, Allegheny, Pennsylvania, which is not- and which huge slam on Allegheny, Pennsylvania. What by a the way. dunk! Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, he just seemed like he was this big guy who loved food. Mm-hmm. Um, and wound up making a lot of food and teaching a lot of other people to make food. Um, and just given where he fell in the 20th century mm-hmm. and where, you know, media technology is, what is, that's not a phrase. I yeah, think, you know, media technology. <laughs> you know, your radios and your TV. And your Betamax and, you know, media <laughs> technology. Um, <laughs> he was on LaserDisc. Kind of perfectly timed to be a, a pioneer in this space. So, uh, as I said, born in Portland, Oregon. Uh, his mom worked in this boarding house. His dad worked in a customs house. They ate a lot of seafood, a lot of other Northwest cuisine, moose and elk and stuff. Um, their family had uh, Joulette, who was this uh, man, Joulette from China, who was their family cook, who also taught him mm-hmm. a lot about food prep. Um, and so he goes to college. He goes to Reed College. Uh, and in 1922, he is kicked out for being gay. Oops. <laughs> Not a good look. Reed College, who did give him an honorary degree later, I think, mm-hmm. as, a, as a form of penance. Um. Yeah. Thanks. I guess yeah. if I were James Beard and I got that, I. I mean, maybe you'd be like, "Well, it's so it's good that societal like norms, norms are changing change. or yeah. whatever." But then maybe you'd also be like, "Well, thank thanks for this." Yeah. Here's some bad food that I made. Enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. Or hate it, please. I don't like you. Um. So he left Reed. He lived in Paris for a bit after school. Ate a bunch Perry. of good food. He thought that he was going to like work in entertainment. He was going to like make it in showbiz, and that did not <laughs> take off. Mm-hmm. So, like a lot of actors and producers, he wound up working in food service. <laughs> Jeez. Okay, I've been that person. I've catered things with no qualifications. You decorated um, the Macy's for. For, for Christmas? Christmas, yeah, you've done uh-huh. all kinds of little odd jobs. He got into Andrew what was called the cocktail party craze. Do you know that cocktail parties were invented in like 1917 or something? It's always so wild to me when I come upon something that someone had to invent that wasn't (laughs) just a thing, you know? Like, I just, I guess I just assume that groups of people getting together to drink just kind of happen. I didn't think somebody, I didn't think that like... Frederick Cocktail had to sit down and invent the cocktail party. Here's you know? the here's the big innovation of the cocktail party. It is you go to someone's house for like eh, 90 minutes at most 2 hours mm-hmm. and they don't have to serve you a sit-down meal. It is ah. come by in the late afternoon, maybe a Sunday afternoon with some uh kind of low ABV punch and mixed drinks that are uh, suitable to women. This was uh apparently invented by a woman named Clarabelle Walsh. There are some other people who lay claim to it. but um, So he gets into this uh, hors d'oeuvre situation in the late 30s. Uh, he Nell wrote his- says, come by and get blasted. No food necessary. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, his first book was called Hors d'oeuvre and Canapé, which is a whole book about what you might serve at a cocktail party. And then mm-hmm. World War II happened. He was in the... Uh, Uh-oh. Yeah, he was in the army for a bit. Womp womp. 
And then he got out of the army. And in 1946, he hosted a cooking show on NBC called I Love to Eat. <laughs> it is cited as the first American network cooking show, Andrew. And you said uh, that's in 48? In 46. 46. So probably, like, does any of that survive? Because I, I think no. a lot of those early shows were before they were taping and, and keeping stuff. Yes. I think there are a lot of other TV shows that from, from like the pre I Love Lucy era that fall into that hole. Yep. There, there is audio of maybe one episode and they started as 15 minute clips and then became 30 minutes as he started doing longer recipes. This is why um, we got to get space travel going so we can go out to where those waves are and cap and like and go get them. Ta- yeah, we got to go get We got to go tape the episodes that we missed. Whoa. Yeah. I never. Th- Whoa. That's a cool Nobody's idea. ever made this argument in front of Congress before. And I just feel like if we did, <laughs> we'd be like, hey, Diane Feinstein, we can go get all the shows that you watched when you were a little girl. Then they would just approve more funding for the for. <laughs> That's for the like the keep circulating the tapes. Act I was of <laughs> I was reading an article about the history of TV cooking shows on cooksinfo.com, mm-hmm. um, which pointed out that like in the 20s, Betty Crocker had a radio show. Betty Crocker's not a real person. It's a company they created of personhood. Um, <sighs> but Betty Crocker had a radio show and that was listened to a lot of people because radios were more prevalent among people of different classes it wasn't until like the 40s that you could guarantee that people like making their own food had enough money to have a television in their home Mm -hmm. and so that's kind of when this takes off and then in then you have like julia child in the 60s and martha stewart starts in the 80s and then the food network i didn't realize food network's been around since 1993 andrew bam are you surprised by it's that recent or that that old new yeah okay i don't uh, i mean it's that old okay yeah um, i just i mean like cable tv wasn't a thing until around yeah then. that's true or you know there, there were other there were other channels but they hadn't they hadn't quite defined a different channel for like every conceivable human activity <laughs> yet yeah. by the by the start of the 90s i say all that just to kind of put him in context as like the pioneer that he was and then in 1955 he establishes two cooking schools one in new york city and one in oregon uh it's my understanding that he did take a lot of like corporate food sponsorships to help pay for some like he was cooking with omaha steaks and stuff yeah i read that and that he didn't love he didn't love doing it, but he did also need the money. Yeah. Uh-huh. Which, welcome to <laughs> welcome to like having a job, James yeah. Beard. Uh, and then, you know, after his death in 85, uh, as I said, Julia Child set up the foundation. It gives out scholarships and awards. Uh, they've had to clean it up like once or twice due to some like unethical behavior. Laura, did you get the Bourdain quote? That, oh, about it basically being a payola like scam. Yeah, just like a benevolent shakedown organization. <laughs> um, they they did cancel the 2021 awards and mm, they like reconstitu- cancel culture. And in 2018, they got rid of the Who's Who of Food and Beverage in America award because the only people who could vote on it were people who had already won the award. And so there was intense bias to people that they knew and liked. Okay. So they've done, they've tried to do a lot. Is that not every award show that exists in the entire world? Like, what's the. (laughs) But like, you can only vote if you've won, is like the issue. It's not even like you have to be in the academy or whatever. Um, 
So it's, yeah, they're trying to open that thing up. So Mm -hmm. that's what I have on Mr. Beard. Do you want to talk about anything else about ourselves as cooks about the concept of bread before I mean, we, we get we into can, this book? we can I, I think we can talk about that in a little bit like the the rabbit hole of research that i sort of fell down as as we were deciding who was going to research what is in the introduction to this book there's a little you know th- there is a note from beard and from like <laughs> The introduction to this edition was written by Chuck Williams, who is the Williams in Williams' Sonoma. <laughs> so, oh, whoa. I didn't know that's who it was. It's like literally, this is a little stripe on the cover. Oh, I didn't. This. I was too distracted by James's face on this cover. It's, so. I mean, it's a, it's a, look, listen, it's a wonderful face. I'm yeah. not, look at that, man. I it's, wish that I was, I looked as reassuring. It looks like the entire kitchen is made of bread, which is mm-hmm. really stunning. He made it. <laughs> And he's just looking at you like, welcome. But the the book has a, so it's the, the original, it was originally published in what, like 1973, right? 73. Yeah. 73. And it's, there are some interesting things happening in, in food and bread, but I was, I was caught up by this suggestion in the, in the introduction that this book is sort of a pushback to like processed white bread and it's rooted as a lot of, you know, Beard's work was in this belief that like people, you know, the art of cooking should not be lost. People should know how to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, there, there is a ritual to it and it's really enjoyable. And, and, and yeah, it, like he, it, at the time that was sort of countercultural. And you see, you saw that with Julia Child too. It was like, she's just like both the everyone should cook and the everyone can cook stuff is still really taking root in this, in this yes. era. And so I was researching about that because I, I just, from cultural osmosis, I remember just hearing things about, you know, America's like love, hate relationship with white bread. Like it, yeah. it is, or just like white processed sliced bread. It's, Wonder it, bread. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it turns out that it has a complicated past. So let me, so let me tell you a little bit about sliced bread. Great. Which was first sold in 1928 by the Chillicothe Baking Company in Chillicothe, Missouri, following the invention of the bread slicer by uh, Otto Rowetter. Okay. Uh, and then two years later, in 1930, Wonder Bread began selling precise bread across the U.S. So, you know, early 20th century, sort of depression-y, pre-World War II era, sliced bread well, starts and to become a thing. And that's... Big this I don't know if this came up in your research right but I it's my understanding that that was huge because like there was a lot of foodborne illness possible outside of these industrial like there was not a lot of quality control on the ingredients that people would use to make bread at their like local bake shop or sure whatever, and we'll right? and, and we'll talk about this a little bit too I wanted to highlight that Nell says that uh, Julia Child's first book says it's for the servantless cook which wow. same I guess yow <laughs> um but uh, so uh, you know how people say this, this was funny this is a fun thing to discover you know how people people say stuff is the best thing since sliced bread yeah. What was the comparison point before sliced bread? Do you oh. do you know? Because I know what it was. Is it something stupid? Is when they invented sliced bread, they said that it was it was not the best thing since sliced bread. It was quote the greatest forward step for the baking industry since bread was wrapped. 
Whoa. So we wrapped it, then we sliced it. And since then, we really haven't done anything that's been as good. <laughs> a in the chat says penicillin. Penicillin. I mean, I guess penicillin's thing. pretty good. Uh, but so, okay, white bread has a complicated past. It was, it was, you know, it, it is a very useful food because of its convenience and its consistency and its shelf yep. stability. Like that, yes. those are all big things. Um, the first, like it. it it comes in waves. Like the first wave of, of pushback to white bread has roots in like the Upton Sinclair era around the tur- turn of the 20th century. Yeah, like, sure. Re- reformers are looking for regulations and for safety guidelines so that they know that mass produced food is safe to eat. Yep. Yep. But yep. I think the movement that beard is more a part of comes from this like countercultural pushback in the late sixties and early seventies. Sure. Uh, so found you can find a lot of good quotes about white bread from this era if you look. This is from uh, a food because <laughs> it's from the man. Yeah, a food historian uh, named Warren Belasco says uh, for Theodore Rozak, who popula- popularized the world counterculture in his 1969 bestseller, white bread was a perfect metaphor for the regime of experts and technocrats who, for the sake of efficiency and order, threatened to rob us all, r- threatened to rob us of all effort, thought, and independence. Um, from, this is from a, uh, splendid table interview with the writer, Jonathan Kaufman, who wrote a book called hippie food, which is about how Whoa. the, you know, the, the movement in the sixties and seventies influences the way that we eat now. Um, Kaufman says the countercultural, the counterculture natural food movement was oriented around the idea that we needed to avoid industrial, we needed to avoid industrialized foods that meant any food that was grown with pesticides, herbicides, and fertilizers, and that was made with all kinds of additives and flavorings. They wanted to go back to a simpler way of cooking and eating whole foods as much as possible so they could escape the industrialized food supply. And because bread was so central to the American diet, they figured that changing the bread they ate and learning how to bake it was taking control over their health. Sure. Um, and just, it, it, he talked a lot in this interview about like the rejection of Wonder Bread specifically and like how people just started making these wheat loaves like in coffee cans. And for a while, some people were like, well, we can't use yeast either. And that made like ineb- inedible like bread bricks that people eventually <laughs> moved a little bit past. And there are like, you know, there there are some nutritional like this is rooted in some nutritional facts like white flour all-purpose flour especially the bleached kind yep does have a lot of the nutrients sort of removed from it in the in the name of uh shelf stability and you can also yeah. find some backlash to white bread that is racist welcome to america Man. uh there is a uh another guy named aaron bobrows Aaron Bobrow Strain, who wrote a book called White Bread, colon, A Social History of the the Store-Bought Loaf. Um, He talks about this ideology called healthism as advocated by people like Bernard McFadden, who said that, quote, white bread was sapping the vitality of the white race, threatening white racial superiority. So we're eating, you know, we're eating this processed bread and it's just making us slow. It's making us so that we can't be better than people whose skin color is different from ours. Yo, bigots will find anything. They will find anything like bread? Are you kidding? <laughs> like, are you sure? It's bread, dude. It's bread. But I, I just, I, I like the 
I think you and I both sort of relate to the like. It's nice to it's nice to make something. Oh you know? yeah, it's nice to make something with We're your gonna- hands. You feel like you're you've got some kind of connection to the the past, and you're. You know, I, I think that I think that's why we enjoy making beer. I think it's like it's why we enjoy making this. Like it's it's for me, it's a just a natural interest in learning the way things work and like why they yeah. work. Yeah. And then also there's a certain amount of like of, of joy and pride you can take in, you know, there, I could go to the store and get this bread or I could make it with my own two hands. And then people will be like, "Whoa, you made this bread. And I'd be like, yes, I did. Thank you for noticing <laughs> Well, it's what, it's what we like about about like sharing the beer that we've made with our friends, and then having them go, "This is pretty good." Yeah, like it's nice, mm-hmm. and, you know. And I think plenty of people know that joy. It can sound kind of naive or silly to like trumpet it as as if it's this novel experience that no one's ever had, but it's just a good feeling. Mm-hmm. And so that's really the center of this episode. I'm very thankful for this book. For giving us an opportunity to just like live in that space, yeah, bread space. Um, so so that's we, bread. That's bread. Did oh, <laughs> the, here's all the notes that I took on bread. Okay. Um, where is it here? Webster's defines bread Jesus. as a usually <laughs> baked and leavened food made of a mixture whose ba- basic constituent is flour or meal. Uh, two, our daily bread, as in like livelihood, or three. Uh, he earns his bread as a laborer, slang money. Mm-hmm. Those are the. That's what I brought. That's I'm really glad that you did that. That's yeah. that's research that I didn't think to do. <laughs> and uh, that's so why sh- we. That's why we make a good creative team. Should we talk <laughs> about the like just what is in this? book or things that stood out to us in this book or do you want to get into bread first we can let's talk about we we've been talking about a lot of like background stuff because i think that i mean most of the episode is going to be that that kind of thing so let's talk about the book itself for a little bit it's set up as a uh it's an uh introduction from the from the guy who did william sonoma great yep and then it starts with a an observation section from beard that is just kind of the basics and there there were things that i I'm curious to know if you learned, if you feel like you learned anything from this book. I know we both have some, we've, we've not, we've ever made bread before. Um, and we can talk about, I think innovations that have come up since 1973 that actually were not in this book that people who are trying to make bread should know about now. Sure. But, um, but I, he was talking about how like the absorbency of flour and like how it, how much flour you need to use or how much water you need to use can like change based on the flour or the altitude or the humidity. Yep. And that answered for me a question that was like, why do I feel like I always need to put an extra like half cup of flour in literally anything I make for it not to be so sticky that I can't work with? It? Sure. <laughs> yeah. The thing I learned, um, mm-hmm. which I should have probably known or had a, had a sense of from our beer making is because um, I've not really made yeasted bread very often. Um, prior to this book, I've made a bunch of banana breads. Um, Laura is like not uh, gluten intolerant, but we do try to avoid it. Well, because listen, hate has no home here. <laughs> <laughs> um, which honestly, though, like during... Uh, these past few months of pregnancy, we've had a lot more bread. It's, it does not bother her 
uh, like system as much as it has in the past. That, for that baby's reason. making her ankles swell up like little yep pillows, but but the bread it is in, imbuing a gluten tolerance. <laughs> it's that true. She did previously, um, had. so I've been like rediscovering bread, even just like store bought bread these past few months. But I sh- I've not been very experienced in making yeasted bread. I did not really know about. Um, getting the yeast started in warmer water. Oh, yeah, you need to do that. I think I, I knew about putting it in water mm-hmm. and trying to get it going, yeah. but I was not aware of the good temperature range, um, which I'm familiar with from the other side from when we're making beer and you want to try to get it down out of the super hot range for when you're pitching yeast, but to, to wake the yeast up, mm-hmm. uh, I was not really well versed in that so that like so th- that explained some failures that i've had in sure. making even gluten-free bread in the past the the two like bread facts that i knew going into this that are not covered in this is um so th- there's a book i was recommended years and years ago called american pie by a guy named peter reinhardt which is about all, all about homemade camp? pizza oh okay no, shut stop, stop it. <laughs> um, he talks about the window pane test, which is oh, how yes. you know uh-huh. when you've kneaded bread enough is you take like a little glob of it and you stretch it out. And if you can, if parts of it get sort of semi-transparent without, without ripping apart, that's the window pane test. You know, you did a great good job. Sure. Uh, there is a, I don't remember if it's the cinnamon roll recipe that I use or another pizza crust recipe that I've tried, but. The um so so Beard talks about like a temper a specific temperature range that you want your milk or your or your water to be in. Yeah. The the like rule of thumb I have found super helpful is that it should feel like warm bath water. Yeah. Which, as sure. somebody who runs a bath for, for a kid child every, every day. single day, like that helped <laughs> that helped me out a lot. Yeah. Sure. Um. But yeah, you can you can. I th- can you just throw it in water without anything else? Because I, I think that I usually put a little bit of sugar in there just to give the yeast something to nom on. He talks about that. You you do need to give it some sugar to wake yeah, it up. If it, yeah. If it's, if it's milk, you can throw it in without doing anything else because milk has sugar yeah. in it. Yeah, yeah. Beard had me put milk and sugar and yeast in the same bowl which made quite it was quite a quite a party it was, was fun happening it was there. fun <laughs> i the other thing in this observation section that i really enjoyed is his rant about toast <laughs> he hates crappy toast if you were just making warm bread get out of here get out of beard's kitchen come on it seems to me that one seldom finds toast that is really toasted Mm -hmm. usually it is a flabby piece of warmed bread with a slight color to it (laughs) nothing is as revolting as the plate of toast one usually receives in a restaurant or hotel this comes buttered and wrapped in a napkin and while it may have been crisp when it came from the toaster it has in the meantime steamed to a most unpleasant texture let me see if i can find the other rant that he goes on about sourdough bread which oh my he also god doesn't what like. is that uh Dude, despite that? despite my own feeling that sourdough bread is much overrated and is difficult to perfect at home i am including one recipe in this collection because interest in the subject is so tremendous uh he goes uh certainly is just un- as unpredictable as the salt rising bread I'm not sure it's worth the trouble. I would much rather have you spend your time producing the buttermilk white bread, page 42, or some of the rye breads. But for those who like a challenge, here it is. <laughs> and I just, I just love, 
<laughs> being like, here you go, you animals. Here's your sourdough recipe if you want to make the stinky bad bread. <laughs> Looking ahead to 2020, just going, you idiots. Make my bread. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he has a whole section about choosing. Oh, I did like, um, sorry, before I get to that, when he talks about uh, the rise um, and how like variable that is and how he really can't give you very much specifics about timing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I just appreciated this is like an indicative of the tone of the book. I feel that to give definite rising times for each recipe only tends to make the beginner more nervous, particularly if it takes a longer or shorter, shorter time than I specify. So I've indicated how much the dough should grow in bulk and illustrations will aid you. So I, I just appreciated him like coming into this book thinking about like, and I certainly have experienced this with different recipes. Like you want to get it right, but there are things outside of your control if you've never encountered them before. That overall, this whole process is a good reminder of how fun it can be to like make a thing that's not going to be perfect. Yeah, and like part of it is okay. It's still enjoyable. What am I going to do different next time? Mm-hmm. Um, and he's really. That's part of the ethos of this book. And then he just has a whole section where he lays out choosing the right bread for different meals and things. And he seems kind of offended that not enough people think about this. (laughs) And and most um, of of his recipes also mention like what he likes to eat. Usually it's just butter. He's usually Usually just like, like, hey, this goes great with butter. Like 80% of the bread. I was was like three recipes into this. And I was like, oh, James Beard is a real butterface. 80% of the recipes are like. Because he likes to put butter in his face. Oh, my God. I can't believe you said that. Um, He's like, this bread is great. (laughs) That's what it means, right? I'm not aware of another meaning. No, there's no other meaning. Mm -hmm. Um, He's like, this bread would be great. Thin sliced with butter. And you're like, oh, yeah. It looks like every other bread, my guy. (laughs) He loves to put butter on stuff. He loves it. And I'm not like, I'm not again it, but. It's great. I guess they just had invented peanut butter in 1973 because he does not mention how good <laughs> peanut butter is on all breads. So either. then there are there are like what ten or twelve sections of breads, um, yeast breads, wholemeal breads, sweetened breads, egg breads, batter breads, baking powder and soda breads, rolls, flatbreads, filled breads, fried cakes, and griddle breads. <laughs> My favorite. This is one that made Henry laugh a lot. Actually, uh-huh. is in fried cakes. There is a recipe for something that he just calls what? Dough gobs. Dough gobs. <laughs> and Henry loves saying dough gobs. Let me tell <laughs> you. <laughs> okay. So talk to me about this white bread section, Andrew, because that might be a good transition into what we did. What, what do you want me to talk to you about? Just like that, I just talk about how this recipe, like his basic white bread recipe is like five times longer than every other recipe in the it's book. It's a very yeah, it's a very foundational because it's you're coming off the intro, right? And that's this is the first recipe in the entire book in the first section called Basic Yeast Bread and Other White Flour Breads. And um he is covering in this section a lot of just like foundational stuff. Like here is his here's his kneading technique. And here's yeah. that is that is why, by the way, Susanna is the baker in our household because that's like the space that she's staked out for herself. I mm-hmm. I enjoy baking, but I'm not you know, it, I'm not going to take her thing. It can be her thing, sure. but she doesn't like to do bread because she doesn't like kneading, and so mm. that's where it's Andrew's time to that's shine. <laughs> Uh, but he talks about like the the kneading process and like a basic you know the basic like mechanics and physics of yep. 
of uh, your rising, including like your first rise, your second rise, um, how the dough should feel when it's ready to rise, how you can tell when it's done rising is you just like jab a couple fingers in it and you make sure it doesn't uh, bounce back out. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. Very helpful. People, we've set off a peanut butter argument in the in the oh, chat. I was boy. Not, I was not trying to say that butter was or peanut butter were in like competition with each other. I just think that they're very, they're both good. Um, for anybody who's wondering, yes, mayo works really well on the outside of a grilled cheese. Um, I grew up using butter, but Laura has introduced me to using mayo, and it's pretty good. No, I do. I, I do a butter. Um, we don't. Both we are just, great. We just don't usually have mayo because we don't really use it. Yeah, fair enough. Else. It's um, the only thing we use it for. Yes, yeah, sure. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> but I did. You know, after a you know spent some spent my childhood and, and teenage years eating American cheese and like mm. Oscar Mayer bologna and very like you know yeah uh coated poor food sure and sure. then getting into like more you know some like deli cheese and some meat and some munster and whatever can't beat craft singles for a grilled cheese like you just you just literally okay. can't do it okay so it's gonna be a, yes yes but i mean you can get the american cheese from the deli that's good too but Let, i mean that's what american cheese is for is a yeah, grilled cheese Come yes on. but okay I'm going to say the grilled cheese, and it's not the grilled cheese that I'm going to talk about later in this episode because I didn't have it, but I have been making a Havarti with shredded Mexican flavored cheese, grilled cheese for months now, and it slaps. It's so good. Because <laughs> it, the because the Havarti Now we've set off like a, a Kraft versus Velveeta argument well, in the chat. Okay. I no, it's always Kraft. You, I don't know what Velveeta is doing. Get out of here. If I'm making um, a fancy grilled cheese, I uh, brie, actually. Oh, yes. Pretty, sure, sure, sure. sure. Uh, brie with like sliced apples or pears is really Ooh. simple and good. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so this basic white bread episode, while the battle rages in the chat. <laughs> yeah, um, we've really, this is getting contentious. This is great. Um, it's the butter battle book over here. Um, <laughs> the basic white bread. This is a parable about the Cold War? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that recipe is really long and good. Um, it also has like 10 footnotes, which I thought were all pretty interesting and good. Um, I also learned, I just don't, I have not done a lot of baking with a bunch of different things. Um, so the... Uh, like careful if you're using glass versus uh, like a tin or aluminum because it'll like change the temperature. Like you got to lower the temperature a little bit, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. If you're using glass, that was useful mm -hmm. to know. And then he just has a whole section about like what happens if your bread's not perfect. And he just kind of like diagnoses a bunch of different things that could happen, which I thought mm -hmm. were cool. Yeah. Um, and also, I don't think any of those things happened to, no. to either of our breads, but it was nice for him to have for a recipe that is just as much about building knowledge as it is about ending up with an edible end product. Like I yeah. really appreciated that he had all those, you know, troubleshooting steps in there. Correct. And he's just trying to help you make white bread. Like he's, this is all just about like making a basic bread that you can use for sandwiches that you can just eat as, as he says with butter um, and just have a good time. It's not trying to be too porous not trying to look like a sourdough because he hates sourdough. He hates sourdough, Craig. <laughs> he really thinks. Why it's would a you waste even say the word sourdough again after, <laughs> after what he said? Um, so then the second recipe in the book, and this might be a, a good transition point for us. Andrew, this is the one with, that we both made. Yes, we both made the basic home style bread. 
which is a a variation on his basic white bread recipe. Um, I'm trying to remember what the primary difference is. Mm-hmm. It's uh, milk and, milk instead of water. Milk instead of water. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so this is a fun recipe. It's pretty short, actually, especially after you read the first one. Because it's just like, I don't know, here's a good bread. Here's that, a riff. He's got a couple recipes that are just like riffs on on the one that he just told you how to do. I did like the one, the broil bread recipe where he's like, I don't know, I messed up using the oven one day and it tasted good. Here's a I recipe like about broiling one. your bread. <laughs> this book has a lot of recipes that are just like, yeah, I had this at a restaurant once and I bothered the person who made it until they told me how to make it. And yeah. here, it's, it's like a combination of that and happy accidents. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Uh, Holy Bird 007 says caramelized onions are the oh, true yeah. ultimate add to a grilled cheese. Caramelized onions you can add to anything. Yep. The, Whiz wit, baby. The turkey burger recipe that we like in this house needs like a couple tablespoons of onion. So you put those in the burger and then you caramelize the rest of it. And it's a good excuse to caramelize an onion. Ooh. Somebody's saying they lost the sound again. And it's back. Now someone's saying it's back. All right. Let's just let's Let's just keep going. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's talk about making the bread, I guess. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. How was your bake? How was my bake? It was good. It was, you know, I've I've done pizza crust, which is pretty similar to this. It's just like the proving time and the yeah. like method is a little different. Like for pizza crust, mostly you just you let it prove a little bit and then you throw it in the fridge and then you bring it back out to let it warm up when you're actually ready to use it. And then this was a more traditional like you let it rise and then you punch it down and then you let it rise again. Um so yeah, I I, I enjoyed it. I had a good time getting into like a kneading rhythm. You know, he talks a little bit about the, the the rhythm he says is you like you press your, like the, the base of your palm down into it and then you give it like a quarter twist and then you press it down again and you just keep twisting and pressing and twisting and pressing. Yeah. And I, and, and you do that until you find a rhythm and I, I found the rhythm and I thought it was good. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, I also enjoyed the, kneading process um proving uh aa is the that's just when you let the so you bread is basically like flour and a little sugar usually and some like liquid and some yeast and something else i i finally found out like definitively what gluten was is there's protein in flour when introduced to moisture and kneaded that becomes gluten which is like the stretchy tough sort of thing that you encounter when you hit bread dough um so you put yeast in that and then the yeast starts eating the sugar that makes gas which makes little bubbles inside the dough which is what rising is and so the more like gluten you have the more that dough can like stretch out as it's filled with air um and so the first proof is just like letting that happen just like letting the dough grow while the yeast like put gas out into it yeah while the yeast farts it makes yes, the bread the big yeast, yes or burps or whatever you want to yeah. do so this recipe calls for one package of active dry yeast two cups of warm milk in that 100 to 115 degree range uh two tablespoons of granulated sugar a quarter cup of melted butter one tablespoon of salt uh i liked how this tasted salt wise mm-hmm. um, we're going to do some taste tests in just a second but oh, what kind of what I, kind of salt did you use kosher salt 
course, kosher salt. All right. I'm glad we're on the same page about yes. kosher salt. That's uh-huh. some good salt. Um, five to six cups of all-purpose flour and one egg white lightly beaten optional, which is for the egg wash on top. Andrew, I you must... You did the egg wash and I did not do the egg I wash. I must confess. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Is this one you're going to tell me about the flour thing that... No, oh, I do have some flower confessions to make. Okay. But first, <laughs> mm-hmm. I have never mm-hmm. separated an egg before. Really? It's never happened. Tell I me how, okay. Did you just kind of intuit the mechanics of it? I looked it up on my phone. You looked it up on your phone. To double you, check. Like, you like crack it and you like... And then you kind just, of, you like juggle the yolk between the two halves yes. until the white is all separated. Yes, there's out. also yeah. the like the the hand method where you just let the egg white run through your fingertips. That sounds messy. That sounds gross and sloppy and erotic, and I don't like it. I've somehow never done this. I don't bake cakes. I've never had to do this, um, and I don't make like egg white omelets or anything like that. I just eat the whole egg because uh, I'm a monster. And I mean, you, you use every part of the egg. It's a like it's an environmental. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. I do. Then you I eat the shells. You eat the you eat the white and the yolk, and then you compost the rest of it. Oh, apparently, I shouldn't juggle it because the outside of the shells are gross, Hannah. I just oh. figure it's going into an oven at three hundred or four hundred something yeah. for however long. Like that'll It'll probably kill get it. it. That'll get it. Um, and it, yeah, it just never. And I was I kind of always viewed it as like an alchemy I didn't understand. Mm-hmm. And I'm here to tell you it's not that like, hard. <laughs> you just always think to yourself, I wonder how when they make an egg white omelet, how do they get I the? Knew, do I they knew like that. engineer like a special <laughs> kind of egg that doesn't have a yolk? In it? I knew that this was a thing that the egg juggle was a thing. But I, mm-hmm. I didn't really understand how it worked. So mm-hmm. now I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm happy I did the egg wash. But Starting here, another look. small, not not a war, I think, but sort of a border skirmish in the chat about the right way to separate an egg. Yes. Um, so here's my first flower confession, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was reading the part where James said, Jim, excuse me, where Jim said... Jim, he's our friend. We've made um, two of his breads apiece, so he's Jim. Went on a rant about uh, bleached versus unbleached flour, right? Mm-hmm. I did not purchase like a new bag of flour for this bake. I, no, ours, I, was, ours was one unbleached, too. I didn't feel good about it, but... Yours or, was bleached? Ours was bleached. It was bleached. Now, yeah. so here's what happened. I go mm-hmm. in my... So I know that the flour by my oven is probably bleach flour because mm-hmm. I have a, a, a mostly used bag in my cupboard. I go further in the cupboard and I have an unopened bag of flour. Okay. And it says it's unbleached on it. And I'm mm-hmm. so excited because I'm going to get to follow Jim's rule and use yeah. the right flour. Yeah. Here's my first confession. Mm-hmm. We were past the best buy date by just a few months. Now, it's that's never fine. been opened. Best buy dates are fake. Unless so it's, it's like hummus or something yeah. that's like obviously a bacteria factory. <laughs> and and so I, and I smelled it and there were you no know, bugs in it or anything. And it's fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's no, my that's first confession. Big. Okay. That's not that's not that bad a confession. I my do want to pause real quick to say that Kara says, did you all know that apparently some people crack an egg on their teeth, which is nope. the wrong. There are a lot of. There are listen, we've in, in the chat we've had a few polite debates. I think there are a lot of right ways to do a lot of things. I can definitively say that cracking an egg on your teeth is the wrong way to do that. Get a bowl, you monster. <laughs> That's like people who open beer bottles with their teeth. Like no, those just, are the only teeth that you have. I'm what so are you afraid doing? for you. 
I hate going to the dentist. Why would you like invite that? Mm-hmm. Anyway, my second flower confession, Andrew, mm-hmm. all I looked at on the bag was that it said unbleached. I was so excited. Uh-huh. I realize now that I was in fact using bread flour. Oh, dang. I'm so jealous. So I used all purpose flour on purpose because that's what the recipe called for. And I wanted to be able to mm-hmm. critique Talk the about recipe. It. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm but excited to I, try your if bread. I, if I were to make this exact bread again, I would use bread flour instead of regular flour. And so this is another thing that I found out in anticipation of this episode. Do you know what the difference is? Um, it's a different. It, there's like not wheat germ in it or something. There's well, something... so there's not there's not wheat germ in either one, and that's what oh you're right. It, that's that's what keeps okay. it shelf stable because there's like yeah, no yeah. oil or anything that can go rancid. Is bread flour has a higher protein content than all-purpose flour, ah. so that it makes a little bit more gluten, so you can get more of a stretch, so you can get less close of a crumb, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But okay, okay, sure. Um, so and my third minor bread confession. Uh, flower confession is that during my uh, chaos kitchen, I don't know <laughs> uh, when we want to go to the visual aids or not, um, but I did just kind of mess all over my kitchen doing oh, this Oh, is that bake. why you sent me a f- picture of a flower explosion? Yeah, I picked, I had butter hands. All right, wait, wait, wait we're going to go, it's going to go to the footage here. Hold on. There it I is. Just, I, uh, I had butter hands from buttering some bowls mm-hmm. and pans and stuff, and then mm-hmm. I picked up my container of bread, of, mm-hmm. of flour, uh, the one with the enriched flour in it, the bleach flour, and I was moving it back to where it goes, and I it just slid out of my hand and bonked off the thing, and it landed all over my foot. And so that's why there's like sort of one footprint in the flour where I got carried to this oh, bread. Oh, I thought, I thought that's when... <laughs> Jesus Christ picked you up and carried you through your kitchen. <laughs> and he said, good bread, bro. <laughs> okay. So I had to do a bunch of extra dishes uh, from the from the pans that are under my uh, kitchen island <laughs> because they got flour all over mm-hmm. uh, Lord, the, the voice that Laura uses to ask me if I'm okay when I made a mistake like that is really uh, patient, I will say. I think <laughs> she I can, knows I'm okay. I, I think I can hear the... I deserved it. Yeah. Um, okay. Anything else about your uh, bake to share before we uh, taste each other's bread? For just, just the second? white, for just the white bread, just no, the white bread. I don't think so. I like no nothing. Nothing worth sharing. It's a boring story. I okay. was gonna say it, but then I'm not going to. Okay. My so. um, my prove my mm-hmm. second rise went a little wild. Okay. Uh, what does that mean? I probably should have shaped them better for the pan that oh, I was okay. for the pans that sure. I was using because yeah. my boys got big and lumpy and did not f- like look like they, they're <laughs> they very rustic. Little, they cut nice, but the outside is a little, it's a little something. So okay, here is Craig's here's Craig's white bread that he made. Yeah. Um, it feels nice. Like the loaf is nice and hollow, like it's supposed to be. The crumbs, it's it's pretty close, but it's nice and regular. Yeah. Uh, close crumb just means there's not a lot of like air pockets. Like you that, look at a typical slice see. of white bread, it's yeah, a pretty it's close. Like, crumb. I'm I'm using all this GBBO terminology. Like everybody's seen GBBO, but. <laughs> Oh, can you show the crust? Can you show the crust on the side? Okay, so yes, Craig got a nice dark 
crust from that, that egg wash he got from the egg wash, which is very yeah. nice. And so here's a comparison with my loaf, which was just washed with water and it's a, mm-hmm. you know, it's still a nice color, but it's, it doesn't have that nice like sheen to it. Your crumb is good though. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased with the consistency of it, especially cause I use the all purpose flour instead of the bread flour. I didn't cheat like some people. Yeah. I'm just going to eat some of your bread real quick. All right. Am I, am, are we both eating the same bread at the same time or are we eating each other's bread? Okay, you're just going for it. <laughs> yeah, this is pretty good. I kept just lifting my bread loaves up to my face and smelling them because they were very, <laughs> they smelled so good. It was like one in the morning and I'm like I couldn't eat a bunch of bread right before I went to sleep. <laughs> so, the thing about bread at night. So th- okay, <laughs> what a sentence I just said. Reagan is Reagan is calling for us to do a mukbang stream. Which oh man, I'm not. You need to. I wasn't. I'm not prepped for it. Nope. Mentally uh, or physically. <laughs> so so beard does drive home that you w- really want for like white bread and things like that. You really want to let it cool as much as possible before you even think of cutting it. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I spent about 20 minutes reading a bunch of blogs that are like you. It was very late last night when I was done baking. And it was like, you can leave it out overnight, let it cool, it'll be fine. Like, for like a few hours, it's going to be okay. You also don't want to wrap it too early because you don't want any moisture touching the crust. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did go to bed having bread out. It smelled amazing. It was delicious. Um, so uh, gonna... Let's go to the footage here. Craig's loaves. You can see the sort of... A, a one a lovely color, but you can see the sort of misshapen quality that, that yep. he was worried about. Yeah, it was kind of wild. The mm-hmm. the the further one in that image is like it really popped out. Yeah, it's like way, sure. it, look at that thing. It's tectonic. Here, here are the here are the doughs. This is pre-prove, right? This one of yeah. them in the pans. Yeah. Um, um, which was after first prove, mm-hmm. but before second. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you put them in there and then you just let them sit. What was kind of nice was I was also baking the banana bread at the same time. And that drawer is right next to my oven. So it was kind of mm-hmm. a nice little warm spot for them to hang out in. So my, let's, let's go to, let's go to my loaves. Yeah, please. Here are my. It does this, look like a is, popover, Hannah. Yeah, is, totally. Uh, here's pre-prove for my two little boys, and here's post-prove. I made some little cuts in the top to uh, give the moisture a place to escape, so my mm-hmm. the top of my bread wouldn't crack. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, they just they came out looking really nice. They, it's just a it's a nice color. Just brush the top of them with water. Um, and then I yeah I, I cut them and look at those I guys. Was psyched about the way that the inside of this bread looked. That is a, a drawing of bread. Yeah, is your... I'm I'm really excited about it. Yeah, can you um, um can you show the the cut on yours is like a it's from a textbook. Um, can you show this? my rustic boy cut open? Uh, yeah. Do I have that picture? Uh, no, that's the banana. The bread. The double ones. I don't know if you have them. I might not. Okay. No worries. People saw it. Yeah, I'll grab. I'll, I'll go to Slack and see if I can find the picture. Okay, um, but yeah, this is a delicious bread that we both made, and I will say the thing I like most about this bread mm-hmm. is the balance of the sweet from the milk and the 
uh, salt, like just the quality of that salt flavor. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is really good. Um, what type of milk did you use, Andrew? Uh, just one percent because that's what we keep. Uh, usually, when if I know I'm going to be baking, I'll get uh, whole milk. Oh sure, but I, I don't. I, I don't know I, that the like it it helps a lot with pizza crust. I've yeah, I found or cinnamon rolls, but I don't think it would make that big of a difference here. I don't know. I did. Uh, I was standing in the grocery store going, "What percent milk to get for bread baking?" And it was like, "Whatever, dude, just pick I, a pick a milk." Yeah, what? It, like, don't get skim. I think defaulting to two is fine. Yeah, I um, am getting. I found the picture. I'm gonna download. Oh, great. It. Okay, thank you. Uh, and then you chose uh, while you get that. This is just fun for everybody listening uh, who's not watching the audio, watching the video version. What we'll a weird episode all, we'll we're doing! All, we'll post all these pics. This is, I mean, it's a, like it's a cooking show. It's like okay, so there are Craig's. Ni- <laughs> I looked at Craig's chaos loaves, and I was like, "Well, buddy, that's a nice try." But then I saw the picture of them cut, and I was like, "I would make a sandwich so hard on those loaves of bread." <laughs> oh, it's so so. Uh, we made, I made a grilled cheese with it for lunch mm. and it was so good. Can I, yep. There's the, there's the, uh, Just the proof. I love that. The melt on that cheese. An mm. amazing, now that was a craft single. Mm-hmm. Um, and Laura actually made it because I was putting together baby furniture at the time. So <laughs> she gets credit for the actual melt and the toast. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it was, it, I took a bite and I was like, I feel like I'm at a diner. It was a- that, a- likes it was, that the sandwich is mostly bread. Yep, it's a lot of bread. But once that once that bread's absorbed, like the butter or whatever you're using, like you know, uh-huh. it's, it's imbued a an other you know quality, an, an extra yes. breadness to it. Okay, so tell me wh- while I get ready to eat some of it, Andrew. Tell me about the non-white bread that you made that was in this book. So there's a whole other section of this. There's plenty of sections we talked about them. They're not all just make a good white bread and variations things to put in it what bread so there's, did you a, there's a there's a soda bread uh chapter and the difference with the soda bread chapter is in the you know in the in the white bread and the, the regular bread your rising is all provided by yeast where in the soda bread chapter it's provided by baking soda and it makes a much closer crumb like you don't get the nice rise from it but it's also so much easier to make i think a lot of people call some of these kinds of breads like quick breads because they're just they're just fast you don't need to wait for a rise. You don't need to fiddle with yeast. Um, so yeah, I made a gingerbread because we ha- it called for a cup of molasses, <laughs> oh, and wow. we had molasses in the house. And I was like, I don't want to go. I ended up having to go to the grocery store for something else anyway. But I didn't want to <laughs> go out to uh, to get an ingredient specifically for this. So I settled on the gingerbread. I have. I I think the recipe turned out exactly like it's supposed to. Okay, and then Craig put. A little of my whipped cream on top, which is just a cup of cream, three tablespoons of granulated or powdered sugar. You use whichever one you want. And then a t- teaspoon of uh, vanilla extract. And so I th- I like how this turned out. I think the molasses flavored totally steamrolls the ginger flavor. I, that's exactly what that is. It's so a if delicious I were, if, molasses bread. Yeah. And so if I were going to make it again, I would try to find one that used something a little lighter. I don't know if like a light molasses or like a brown sugar or something, but um, I, I like how this tasted. Henry tried it a couple of times and kept making a face, but like kept going back in for it, like a real kombucha girl vibe. <laughs> and 
Yeah, I, I I like how it turned out. It's very dense, it's very rich, it's very heavy. Uh, yeah. The texture on it is great. I thought it was a little bit over, but it ended up being pretty much perfect. I think I the just moisture, thought it was yeah, a little, the, mm-hmm. little too molassesy. Yes, the ginger does not. It did not have that. We we ever have made a beer that had a lot of ginger uh-huh. and cinnamon in it, <laughs> and the that type of flavor when it's really forward is very mm-hmm. distinct. And I took mm-hmm. that first bite. And that was not what I was getting. You're right. It's that molasses taste, which is yeah. still very good. And I use like on the upper end of the amount of ginger he recommended too. It just you don't. I don't. I don't feel like you get very much of it from the from what he gave you. Yeah. 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 Sure. So okay. I I I enjoyed it, but it wasn't quite what I was imagining when I imagined sure. gingerbread. You know what I mean? And and people were asking about your whipped uh, cream here. Is it special? Like what else is in it? It's not like a special flavor. It's just a no, no, cream. no. I just it's a it's a cup of of whipping cream or heavy cream and three tablespoons granulated or powdered sugar and then one teaspoon of vanilla extract. And you just whip cool. whip till you see stiff peaks, baby. You can put so, a little bit of cinnamon in it if you want, just oh. like a like a tablespoon or so, which gives it a nice little twist. But I think it's pretty good as it is. That's sort of like how I just put garlic in everything. I know I'm not. Well, that's yeah. That, garlic like, goes in everything. If it's not on the list, except when you're like, you don't put garlic in baking. Pro- anytime you are cooking something. Unless you're making garlic bread, baby. Well, that's true. Mm-hmm. I got to make some garlic bread. Okay. Do you Natasha wanna- recommends heavy cream and vanilla syrup for a shortcut. Sure. Um, do you want to try some of the alternate bread that I made? I'm trying this. This is some banana bread. It is banana walnut looks bread. Looks like nuts in it. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. And this is also from the soda bread chapter. I wanted to make this because I have made a lot of banana breads, very experienced with a chocolate chip banana bread, um, feel very comfortable using the KitchenAid for that process. It doesn't involve any kneading or anything like that. You're just mixing all of the wets and then adding the dries. My wets. Yep. (laughs) Uh, My (laughs) journey with this bread is I looked at the recipe and... Jim, I'm sorry. I said two bananas is not enough. Now I did look. He has two different banana recipes in this book. Banana You're bread just recipes. Going, it's Craig on bread. You're just going off off road and for both of these. <laughs> one of them, he said. The other one that from the one I made, which I would have made that one, but I don't have the size pan that he asked for, um, is more banana y. This one is on paper less banana e so i added a third banana i still think you could have more banana and it'd be fine i think you're you're synthesizing the the directions that jim gave you i i think i mean this you got a great banana taste um i think if you put more bananas in it it might be too wet actually yep totally that's the thing with putting more bananas in it is it makes it more moist too but no this is a one of the things I like about this book is that at the end of every like little descriptive recipe section, he usually will just tell you like if it keeps or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. think this banana bread would be one that keeps very much. I think it would it would just get soggy over yes. time, which is not a comment on what you did. It was just a comment on the kind of bread that it is. But no, it's a, it's it's a great banana bread. I like a walnut. I know that not everybody does, but uh, yes, yeah, good. I. And it, it's a little darker color than I expected it to be. Um, because I added that third banana, I was still getting a little bit of banana goop on the knife at the hour point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I left it in there probably just like two minutes longer than I should have because I was trying to make sure I avoided that. Probably should have just let it ride in the pan for a few minutes out of the oven. 
and try to fix it that way. Um, that's Oh, that reminds me of the thing. Did you do the thing that he mentioned in the white bread recipe, Andrew, where he, you take it out of the pan and then put it back in? I did, for a yeah, bit. for a couple yeah. of minutes, yeah. Now I want to buy some bread tiles. <laughs> you got me all excited about bread tiles. I think it's so it's just like some terracotta tiles or whatever that you put into the oven to like make the heat distribution more even, right? Yes, yes. I have used pizza stones. Pizza stones. Kind of yeah, before. I realized yeah. I don't have a pizza stone. I did mm-hmm. get to use so I, the breadboard that I showed earlier, the my rustic breadboard. Uh, that I'm using kind of as a platter today. Uh, it just sounds like... <laughs> I won't say what it sounds okay. like. It sounds like a... It's, it sounds dirty. <laughs> the old rustic breadboard. The old rustic breadboard. Mm-hmm. Um, it is using as a tray. I have, an, I have another larger one that looks more akin to what you might... Like a, like a pizza like serving platter kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that worked really well for like a nice surface on top of my kitchen island to, to work with. Um, but there was another one in this, there's another recipe in this book that I'm kind of eager to make. And I just, my ears perked up. Jim, Jim throughout the course of this book, sourdough aside is really keen on basically every recipe. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I like all this bread. This bread is someone is like made by someone I love, or this bread was from a cool restaurant, or this bread was made by somebody who works at my restaurant. And then for this rich sour cream coffee cake, this because he's like he likes all the bread, but this stood out to me. This is another coffee bread baked in a tube pan, one that I have enjoyed all my life. In fact, it is my favorite of all the sweet breads. The apricot glaze gives it a superb color and sheen, and the flavor makes it a rich, delicious accompaniment to coffee or tea. When he called something his favorite, the even-keeled pleasantness of this book kind of washed over me. Mm-hmm. And then when, Jim when was he's like, "Really enthusiastic or really unenthusiastic yeah. about something? It sticks out." <laughs> yeah. He's like banging on the table, being like, "Make this coffee cake for me!" And it's just a different vibe from a lot of the other ones i just really oh the limpa bread i'm just going through some of them while we're while you're eating andrew i think yeah i think we're just we're kind of winding down we're just kind of winding down that's the one um it's a scandinavian bread there's a bunch of scandinavian bread in this book um that calls for beer and honey in it Ooh, i kind of want to make it sure maybe take some of the beer that we've made and turn Mm -hmm. it in turn it back into bread dang (laughs) (laughs) circle of life well, no, what um, we need to do is get catch like wild yeast and then make that into beer and then make that into bread. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. that would be good. Um, and I liked, you know, some of the breads where he's like, this would be a good bread to give someone as a gift. Like that would be, a, you know, it's just very aware of of food as part of our social fabric, which mm-hmm. I appreciated. Um, you'll be proud of me, Andrew. I used a kitchen. Don't tell scale. me what I'm going to be. But what? I used the kitchen scale that you've been yelling at me to own. Oh, you finally for years. got kitchen scale? Yeah, dude. Oh, look at you. I was so worried that you weren't going to have one and that your bread was going to be too flowery. <laughs> uh, to answer a question from the chat, Allegra, we did not read every single recipe. Um, we Just read, the ones we made. Yeah. yeah. We read every intro, I think. Um, and I skimmed through some of the recipes for the more interesting ones. I was talking to Laura about making donuts. She's been wanting to make donuts for a while. Yeah, I definitely have probably like a dozen pages dog-eared in this of things that I want to make. The one that I'm the most excited to try is the uh, pistachio bread. 
mm. which uh, is has a what is a a cup of shelled salted pistachio nuts. You arrange it in like a loop. It's like, it's just like a hoop of of pistachio bread. Mm. Here's the here's mm-hmm. the light illustration. Uh, but very very because. Our friend Sophie made a pie with like a pistachio crust at a oh yeah friend gathering that we were at earlier this year, and it was the best. And I'm excited to incorporate more pistachios into my cooking. This book doesn't have uh, actual photos. It's of an era where that was not going to be a thing to do cheaply. And um, it's it's also not a salt, fat, acid, heat thing where it's just like replete with illustrations. Like you get very basic sketches of a lot of things, but mostly you have to go off of the uh, the the verbal descriptions of of the ways things are supposed to look and feel look and feel. Uh, to answer Hollybird's question, there is not a focaccia recipe. Uh, there are probably some. Oh, Hollybird, excuse me. There's some recipes that are probably similar, but there's not a focaccia specifically. So. Um, but yeah, this is dope, Andrew. Good idea on this book. I guess I'll, I guess we're just gonna make bread forever now. Oh yeah, bread baby. That's that's just bread baby. If we quit doing overdue ever, and I don't, I don't. People get edgy whenever we suggest yeah. that there the like linear time might continue and that might lead to the show ending. <laughs> but if we were gonna pivot to do something else, I feel like I don't know. Let's do bread. I guess. Just the bread guys. Yeah, bread boys. Maybe this will just be a thing we do every once in a while. Yeah, just here's the, it's a bread one. It's a bread one. Ready Player One. Um, thanks everybody for tuning <laughs> in really to our Patreon stream, our bonus stream. Thank you for your patience. This came a little later. It is. Uh, I hear it is September now. This was our August stream. That's kind of just worked out with our travel schedules and the prep we're doing uh, in advance of paternity time. So we. Thank you for that patience on that. Um, If you want to share some cool bread recipes with us, uh, or if there's like a thing that sounds like it wasn't covered in this book you want to chat about, um, send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. Send us your cool bread pics uh, at overduepod on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And thanks to Nick Larangis who composed our theme music. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? OverduePodcast.com is our internet website. We have links to the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read, including Beard on Bread. If you click yep. those links and buy them, uh, you get a book and we get a cut and bookshop.org gets a cut and your local independent bookseller gets a cut and everybody's happy. Yeah. Unless you buy like a bad book, in which case, you know, that's your fault. I guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Patreon.com slash OverduePod if you want to get in on the chat and watch us eat. I think we probably just should eat on every stream now. Because it's Only gone if it's over like so good, well. Good, exciting food. We shouldn't eat <laughs> trash. Uh, what else? Uh, Patreon, yeah, patreon.com slash overdupod. Donate, support the show, help send my kid to daycare, help send Craig's future kid to daycare. <laughs> yeah, please. Pay for hosting and books for the show. Uh, just all, all the stuff that keeps us going. Pay yeah. for flour and butter and stuff now because I, I, every baking ingredient that i ever buy now i'm gonna write off as a business expense correct that's it because we it. might do a bread episode again you know yeah. you never know it's all research <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. uh, but no and, and thanks everybody who showed up for the stream these are always fun and when there's a big hop and chat it makes it more fun mm-hmm. uh, when people are fighting about cheese and about yeah that's that just makes it better when everybody's fighting conflict yes. you know that's what that's what we're about here at overdue <laughs> low stakes <laughs> okay. friendly conflicts 
It's true. Mm-hmm. Take us out of here, Andrew. All right, everybody. Until we talk to you next time, please try to be happy. Was a headgum podcast.